Well, recently, uh, Alison and I, just last week actually, uh, spent a few, few days in Bavaria and uh, then down to Austria to Salzburg. Our son lives in Munich and uh, we've been to Salzburg before, but we haven't been there during Advent and when the Christmas markets are going and so on. And Salzburg, as you know, is the city of... Yeah. How many people have been to Salzburg? A few of us? Yeah. So... Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a lovely, lovely city. And uh, we've been there once before, but in the summer. When we went there in the summer, we went to um, something called the Helbrun Palace. And the Helbrun Palace is a few, uh, two or three miles away from the city centre. And um, it was built by Archbishop Marcus Sitticus. And Archbishop Marcus Sitticus was the Prince Archbishop, you know, uh, as uh, archbishops did have, uh, did have all that power in those days. And uh, he got this piece of land. He knew that there was a water feed to it. And his idea was not simply to have a place where he could live away from the vagaries and the difficulties of the city of Salzburg, but also where he could, um, as it were, have a place of retreat, but to which he could invite people. Now, the, the, the genius of the man was that um, he was a practical joker. So uh, the thing he concentrated on was not so much the inner workings of the palace, but actually the gardens. And everywhere you go in the gardens, he's managed to find ways of channeling the water so that he can play a practical joke on you. So actually, if you sit up at table with him for an evening meal, all the nobles of uh, the city of Salzburg come out to see the archbishop by invitation. Uh, if you look closely, underneath each uh, what's actually a sort of stone seat, there's a little pipe pointing upwards. <laughs> so you're, you're unwittingly sitting, having a meal with the archbishop, and suddenly he arranges for uh, a very mechanical sort of device to be pressed so that the water uh, starts ejecting, uh, well, in that certain place uh, as you sit there. So, um, but as you go around, there's a number of other places where actually the same sort of thing, trick, occurs. Uh, he's also got the most amazing... Um, really a theatre show uh, of uh, celebrating the city of Salzburg powered by water. So actually the puppets and so on that are all made of metal, all of those do different things and the whole thing moves and so on. So um, this is, in fact, in case you've forgotten, this is the Archbishop. And there was something about feeling quite queasy about the fact that... Um, the Archbishop spent a lot of time and energy trying to, as it were, trick people and play practical jokes on people in that way. So I came away thinking, that was good fun, but actually, what? <laughs> All at the same time. And then I'm wondering whether there's literally something in the water in Salzburg, because, of course, 160 years later, Mozart, who actually is not well represented in the film Amadeus, but you may have seen it, uh, also had that sort of, uh, as far as we can understand it, that playful, jokey side, and why wouldn't you if you've been a child prodigy? <laughs> Uh, you, you, you would need a letter out. So, um, Salzburg, the Helbrum Palace, and this sense of fun at Advent, all of which uh, are interesting to look at. But what sort of leadership is that by the Archbishop? There's the question. And I need you to know that um, Isaiah 9 is about leadership. Isaiah 9 is about the crisis that actually Judah, the southern kingdom of uh, Judah is facing in the light of uh, Assyria 
and indeed of its own supposed-to-be-family member, Israel, who's allied themselves with Aram. Now, I'm trying to not make it too complicated. Are we okay so far? And they've allied themselves, and Ahaz is the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, and he's really deeply worried about what the implications are going to be for Judah. And Ahaz is the one who, if you remember, gets that um, invitation by God to actually ask something of God. And he says, oh, no, I won't put God to the test and terribly worthy. And actually, God is not really very impressed by that because the invitation is for Ahaz to trust God even though the Assyrians are coming, even though there is this alliance between northern Israel and Aram to try and protect themselves. Even though that's happening, he's invited to trust God. And instead of being able to trust God, what he actually does is he basically... Uh, gives up and uh, seeks and accepts an alliance with Assyria, uh, Assyria who do then invade. And when we have these words in Isaiah 9 about Zebulun and Naphtali, well, they're the northern tribes. They're the very place. And Galilee is the very northern area, which was already a situation where there were displaced people. This is very like our, our situation now, you know. Displaced people, an invasion. Failed leadership. Can you see how resonant the scriptures are? It's all there in Isaiah chapter 9. And so into this situation is uh, brought this great promise. But uh, first of all, there is an acknowledgement of the darkness. And I've headed this first point, Wild West Ways for the Long Northern Night. Wild West Ways for the Long Northern Winter Night. And it's because, actually, everyone did what they thought they could do to try and get through the crisis that they were in. They were walking in darkness, as Isaiah 9. That literally means living in darkness. And there's an acknowledgement of it. Now, this is really, really important, this ability to acknowledge the darkness and the night, isn't it? I wonder when you get to do that. I wonder when you last had the chance to acknowledge the shadows that you're living with. I wonder what it's like to actually live in a... Well, I don't wonder what it's like. I know what it's like for me. But to live in a situation where there's um, the awfulness of the continuing uh, war in Ukraine, where there's recession, where uh, people can't work together as they once did even to actually uh, address climate change and global warming. Even there, there's relationship breakdown where actually our own history in our own nation is one where political leadership seems to be chaotic. And I don't know anything about your life yet, <laughs> but that's enough to go and be going on with, isn't it? We live in what feels like um, fragile times, and in fact, the word of the year this year is, thank you, permacrisis, permanent crisis, permanent darkness. Now, none of this is to get ourselves more depressed than we might otherwise be on a Sunday morning. It's about Sunday morning, if we see it that way at all, it's a chance to acknowledge it, isn't it? If we cannot bring our reality to God, what sort of God is that? What sort of faith is that? What sort of church is that? If we can't actually acknowledge before God, we do walk in the darkness. So... This is the moment where I invite us to pause, and uh, you can close your eyes at this moment with permission. <laughs> and just see if there's anything that you want 
God to be aware of about the shadows and the struggles and the lack of light or the darkness even that you're experiencing at this time. And to do this, you don't need to say any words out loud. But just name it. Name it. The moments of being able to do that. And as we name it before God, notice if there's anything that God already wants you to know back, having named it before God. Don't work too hard at that. Just be open to the Spirit. Which I think God wants you to know. Again, just silently note it. Knowing that having named it before God, God doesn't have to respond in this moment, but we give God a chance to do that. <laughs> It could be later today, next week. Anything that God wants you to know. And if you can make a, make a mental note of anything that you sense is important in these moments and can continue to be open so that you don't lose it, is that okay? So I hope you've been able to do that in some way um, in order for it to be nourishing and helpful later on if God has shown you something. What God does in Isaiah 9 or through Isaiah 9 is he actually brings a word of encouragement anticipating uh, a different season and a different day for the people of Judah. The thing is about when it's dark and cold, you want to withdraw, don't you, most of us? We'd rather get somewhere safe, cosy, warm, and so on. I certainly do now, so I'm showing my age, but that's, that's the stage I've got to. Um, and um, that's the case certainly for uh, the people of Judah. Uh, and you wait, hopefully, for the advent of sunnier warmer, brighter days, don't you? And Isaiah talks about, I'm doing a bit of a pun at the moment on the whole weather thing and compass thing, but uh, Isaiah talks about a, a sun from the south, <laughs> okay? A sun from the south. Because the promise that's here uh, to those who lived in a land of deep, deep darkness is a, a light shining, a cause for Huge joy. You multiplied the nation. You've, just to go back to our Advent candle, you've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. The sort of feasting and celebration of the three harvest festivals uh, with copious amounts of dancing and possibly wine. I don't know for a fact. Uh, but whatever it is, the huge celebration that a harvest was in that culture. Uh, with the joy that you get when you are dividing the plunder for the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, 
you have broken as on the day of Midian. Midian, the people, the great group of people that are defeated through just 33 people left with Gideon, yes? So it's the joy that goes with that sort of thing as well. Uh, Isaiah is trying to get a sense of just how brilliant and amazing this shining light is and the difference it's going to make. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. You don't need fighting stuff anymore, everybody, yeah? That's what it's saying. They need it anymore. For a child has been born for us. A son given to us. Incidentally, I'm, I'm helping you look at Isaiah 9 now. Is that okay? I think you do take Scripture seriously, don't you, at Christ Church Baptist? So I'm trying to sort of help you understand this. Um, uh, we've got a coronation coming up on May the 7th. Probably all sorts of um, antiquated coronation titles will be offered to King Charles, don't you think? I'm sure there'll be all sorts of really weird and wacky titles that actually uh, come from history to him. Well, uh, what we've got here is some titles which belong to one who's being crowned. And Isaiah anticipates one who will be crowned. And uh, he's a child. In other words, he's fully human and with us as a real child. He's also a son. He's the heir of uh, uh, the king, and he's the one who actually God anoints as king. Child, yep, and son and heir. It's not necessarily about a baby. In the New Testament, we apply it to the baby Jesus, at least we often tend to do that. But it's about, actually, the one who is both child and son who's anointed as king, as a coming king. And the authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor. Now, this is the point where uh, perhaps it seems a good idea to un uh, ask a former counselor and therapist or someone that's done that over the years to come and speak to this. So, immediately I want to say to you, counselor is not the word therapist. Is that okay with everybody? It doesn't mean that. The whole context here is of political but also spiritual crisis. Ahaz, by the way, um, has chosen not to trust God, but one is coming, and this is um, uh, one way that we need to apply to pro prophecy. One is coming called Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah was the son of Ahaz, and he was a great reformer. He got rid of the pagan worship, the pagan symbols. He revived some of the worship. He restored the Levitical priesthood. So actually, a sort of semi-revival happened under Hezekiah. One is born... A son is given who actually partially fulfills some of this. Are we okay so far? So partial fulfillment in the very time of Isaiah or soon after. Now, if you said to, if you said to the people, oh, Isaiah said this, but actually you're going to wait 700 years for it, that's, that's not meaningful, is it? That's not um, relevant. A prophet would be hugely surprised if you said to them, oh, it's, it's you know, um, uh, lovely to have that prophecy. It's going to take 700 years to fulfill it. That's not how prophecy works. It's meant to be something relevant for the actual time to help the people live well before God, yes? And so uh, Isaiah offers this in that context, but uh, we understand that actually it has a wider application, a much fuller, the full application and fulfillment in Jesus himself, who will come 700 years later. 
although it's been partially fulfilled in Hezekiah. Yeah? And so we have these terms, wonderful counsellor, mighty God, literally divine warrior. Others are going to preach on this bit, so I won't rob their glory. But divine warrior, given the context, that's a really meaningful term, title. Everlasting father, in other words, someone through who there is safety and protection, just like the very best parent. Prince of peace, someone who actually ensures and enables uh, proper shalom, well-being for all people. Yeah, that's the titles. So can you see how wonderfully encouraging this is to get at the time, uh, 700 years before Jesus arrives in that time, but also it's quite obvious that we would want to also see how this applies to Jesus himself. In fact, it's applied to Jesus himself uh, in Matthew's gospel as he comes and begins to preach the gospel in the northern territories. Oh, look what they've done. It's Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee. The very words that are used here, the very place where they were displaced, the very place where they were invaded, where they were walking in darkness, Jesus comes into that very territory 700 years later and actually brings light. Yeah? So, to the title. We got there, Chris. Wonderful counsellor. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, it literally says, the wonder of a counsellor. The wonder of a counsellor, rather than wonderful. And it in indicates something that lies outside of human expectation and description. So, uh, you just can't find words to quite name uh, the um, ability and wisdom and knowledge that's in this counsellor. So it's a wonder of a counsellor. Now, uh, the analogy, I thought I'd go back to Mozart, actually, and uh, the analogy is this. Whatever else we might say about Mozart or Bach or whoever uh, we name, um, is do you know that moment when actually uh, you just sense heaven has been shown? You've touched heaven when there's a piece of music that you're hearing played, uh, either live or on whatever music system. You know that sense? And of course, often people talk about Bach and Mozart and, uh, uh, and Beethoven and so on as uh, being heaven-touched, don't they? This word wonder is about that. It's about, what? I haven't got any words for this. It's so extraordinary. And then counsellor is, as I expect you've worked out, it's about a king giving counsel to their people or, as it were, taking advice from uh, those around and giving counsel to their people. Now, we have spads, don't we, in the House of Commons? I can never quite remember what it means, but it's something about being a special advisor. Uh, spads, yes, you've seen that come up recently. Some con controversy with some spads. They're basically advisors that are employed by um, uh, MPs and government departments and so on to actually help them to get do good governance, frankly, whatever we think about that. Um, this wonderful counsellor is someone who doesn't need a special advisor. There is so much sense of who God is and how life is meant to be and the direction that one might follow that it's built into this. This person doesn't need another counsellor. They, they themselves are the wonder counsellor, yeah? Wonderful counsellor. 
Someone who is not overwhelmed with problems and issues, but finds and gives a way through. I was reminded of, there's many places we could go to in the New Testament as we see this apply to Jesus, but I was reminded of words like this. No one spoke like this man, said the people. One who taught with authority, whose very words breathe and signal life. Do you remember that? You have the words of eternal life. Who, Who else shall we go to when Jesus says, do you want to go to? It's, um, it's the, the O Come, O Come, Emmanuel stuff. O wisdom from on high, who ordered all things mightily to us the path of knowledge show and teach us in its ways to go. And Jesus receives himself the counsel that Father gives for his way, which leads him into and through his calling to be the Messiah, the King Messiah, and to deliver and hand over a rescued people to Father. A light that shines in the darkness, in the darkness of rejection and persecution and suffering and unjust arrest and trial and crucifixion on the Roman cross and being placed in a tomb even though the darkness cannot extinguish his life, a counsel and wisdom so full of wonder that it takes your breath away, doesn't it? It's the sort of thing that we pile up in our songs and our lyrics again and again when we gather in worship as though it was the most ordinary thing in the world, and it's not. It's not. It's a scandal, says the New Testament. It's an issue that God might be this God. So this is where we need to say something really quite challenging, because the way that God comes is not as we would predict or want. I mean, you you and I, we want a fixer God, don't we? Come on, you do. We want a God who, if you offer a prayer up, will actually just make everything really easy and straightforward. We do. And that's okay. Nothing critical or wrong about that. We do. But the way God comes and the depths he leads us to are not quite like that. I love this um, Advent calendar poem by Rowan Williams. He puts it like this in his poem. He will come like last leaf's fall. One night when the November wind has flayed the trees to the bone and earth wakes choking on the mould, the soft shrouds folding. He will come like frost. One morning when the shrinking earth opens on mist to find itself arrested in the net of alien sword-set beauty. He will come like dark. One evening when the bursting red December sun draws up the sheet and penny masks its eye to yield the star-snowed fields of sky. He will come, will come, will come like crying in the night, like blood, like breaking, as the earth writhes to toss him free. He will come like child. So the wisdom that is within this wonder counsellor is not for the faint-hearted. It's counterintuitive. It's particularly, as our title tells us, about God with us when we are down. Not just you and me individually, but the whole of humanity. It's about being with us rather than necessarily fixing in certain ways. Being alongside us. It's, fine. it's providing the wisdom and the strength 
and the grace to live well and wisely as we face dark realities. And that's where the other text from Hebrews that's been chosen comes in. We did get there. You're doing so well. We got there to Hebrews 4, having been in Isaiah 9. Since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tested in, ev tested in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know the Hebrew situation, don't you? They wanted to walk away, withdraw, fall away, drift away, stop meeting together. You know all those things, don't you, about Hebrews? They wanted to do the things that actually we've been struggling with since lockdown, didn't they? They wanted to not engage anymore. They wanted to not hold responsibility anymore. They wanted not to be leaders anymore. They wanted somehow for it all to go away. And actually, life is so challenging. We're all on the cusp of burnout. I'm exaggerating. But many of us have struggled with that. Uh, we just want to step aside and step away. That was the Hebrew situation. So when we read something in Hebrews, we know it's trying to address that. And we have described here Jesus, the compassionate, great, high priest and wonder counsellor, divine and human, still able to sympathise with all of our challenges and all of our temptations, but without sin. One who understands all of our weaknesses from within, our physical infirmities, our psychological struggles, our struggles against temptation, Jesus, whose victory is not in the absence of testing and temptation, but in the midst of it. One who's opened a way so that we can receive grace and mercy in our time of need. Yeah. Jesus, fully human, gets us. Solidarity with us. Jesus, as fully God, shows us God who's near. Solidarity both ways. It's great, isn't it? What a gospel we celebrate. What a gospel that leads us into relationship with God. Hope arises in the birth of a child and in what he brings as the wonder counsellor. And it's one that gives, as I said before, cause for great joy. And so I think I'm going to finish with this poem. This is, means that you'll concentrate hard now because you know you're almost there at the end. And then we're going to have some prayerful moments together. But I think this is the right way to finish, given that we've had the joy candle today, and given how much joy is emphasized in Isaiah 9. And it's Sharon's Christmas prayer. Do you know Sharon's Christmas prayer? Sharon's Christmas prayer. She was five, sure of the facts, and recited them with slow solemnity. Convinced every word was revelation. She said, they were so poor, they had only peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to eat. And they went a long way from home without getting lost. The lady rode a donkey, the man walked, and the baby was inside the lady. They had to stay in a stable with an ox and an asp. <laughs> 
It's in the poem, by the way. <laughs> but the three rich men found them because a star lighted the roof. Shepherds came and you could pet the sheep but not feed them. Then the baby was born. And do you know who he was? Her quarter eyes inflated to silver dollars. The baby was God. And she jumped in the air, whirled round, dove into the sofa and buried her head under the cushion, which is the only proper response to the good news of the incarnation. Let's pause in quiet prayer. And in our pausing, we've had a chance to acknowledge the shadows and the darkness. And in these moments, we acknowledge the extraordinary gift of a wonder counsellor. Of one who uh, scarily, but also wonderfully, embraced the calling that he had to give himself for us and the world in his life and ministry in his suffering and crucifixion and in rising from the dead and continues to give himself. A wonder counsellor who also stands to strengthen us and give us the grace that we need as we reach out to him for our struggles and our shadows. And so some quiet moments where we're invited to reach out to him silently in our own hearts, asking for the wisdom and the strength and the grace that we need. One tradition has this whole thing where uh, you're invited to ask for the grace that you need. What's the grace you need, the particular one? And these are moments to, as it were, articulate silently to God what it is you particularly need for this time in your life.